0: Parker, what a great job this morning! Really, all weekend. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate you. So happy that you're here. In fact, I'm happy that all this staff is here. I just love your staff, church, and uh, and thankful for them. Pastor Brandon and uh, at Daniel. Everywhere I went yesterday, Daniel was in the shop. There he is back there. He was in every shop we went in, and I had to go to all these shops to drive Miss Daisy. Um, (laughs) You know, the song we sang, Parker, a minute ago, no scheme of hell, no power of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Now, that's what I preached in the first service. And then it comes back and we talk about until Christ comes again, what is that phrase? Till he returns or calls me home. That's what I'm going to preach now. Now, take your copy of God's Word. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians. Just get the First Thessalonians and I'll catch up with you in a moment. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Hayden Planetarium. It's attached to the Metropolitan Museum in New York City. Um, if you've ever seen the the movies uh, a night at the museum you've seen the metropolitan museum right off to the side happens to be that massive planetarium that they were doing just a couple of years ago they were doing a kind of a public relations getting people interested in the planetarium and they sent out this uh, Just this general advertisement that if you wanted to become part of the crew that the planetarium was going to send to another planet, uh, just write in and tell us something about yourself. I want you to know within minutes, it shut the servers down. They had such massive response that it just absolutely crashed the computers there. And uh, so after they got everything back up and they had thousands and thousands and thousands, I think it was somewhere over 20,000 or more people who just in a matter of minutes wrote in, they went back and they asked the question, you know, this was advertisement, why are you so serious about going to another planet? The, The number one answer, the anxiety here on earth. Uh, restlessness, anxiety. In fact, anxiety has overtaken depression as the number one mental and emotional health issue in the Western world. And this whole issue of despair. We're looking down the barrels of, uh, of an election this week, and it, it, if, if there was ever a time when people are more restless and more Anxious and full of despair. I don't know when it is. Uh, But that's where the world is. That's where we are right now today. Paul had an entire church just like that. It was the church at Thessalonica. Now, just back in March, Deb and I, for about the 12th or 13th or 14th time, had taken a group to Greece. We happened to go down and start in Neapolis where Paul landed. You walk up the Via Ignatia, uh, the Ignatian Way, the old Roman road is still there. You walk up from Neapolis to the city of Philippi. And uh, from Philippi, you can follow the Via Ignatia all the way across the northern part of Greece, or in that day, it was Macedonia. And, And we walked there, Paul went there. Paul went into the city of Philippi If you remember what happened there, he led Lydia to the Lord. Lydia came to Christ there. Church started in her house. And uh, then uh, Paul cast the demon out of the little slave girl, and uh, the city just practically rioted. They took Paul and Silas. They beat them with rods. Uh, They put them in chains. They put them in stocks, and they threw them in the prison there. And uh, you remember the story at about midnight, the earthquake came, and the chains fell off, and the prison door opened, and the, and the jailer there was gloriously saved, he and his entire house. Well, Paul leaves the city of Philippi, and he goes over to the city of Thessalonica. But he's not there but about 15 days. I can't figure that he is there. I can't find it in Scripture that he's there more than about two weeks, a little over two weeks and there's a riot there. Everywhere Paul went, they rioted. You ever, you ever stop and think about that? Everywhere the preacher shows up, there's a riot. Uh, well, uh, they rioted there in Thessalonica. He leaves there, skips out. He, he beats the crowd out of town, gets over to Berea, is there just for a, a day or two, leaves there, goes down, gets in a boat, and goes to Athens. And from Athens, he goes down to Corinth. And uh, he leaves Timothy and Silas back up at Thessalonica. And so he says to them, you join me as quickly as you can. They do join him, and they tell him, we've got some issues in the church back in Thessalonica. Now, I'm going to show you those issues that they had. Chapter 4, and uh, if you'll begin to read with me in verse 11, Paul writes the church. He has much to commend them about. In fact, he does that back in chapter 1. He says, I bear in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. But now he comes and he says, listen, there is this personal restlessness going on in the church there. And so his word to them is this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Just calm down. Settle down. People of God need to hear this. Need to settle down in this day and time. God hadn't lost control. Everything is still in the hands of God. He said, lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. You know why he says that? Because they're in everybody else's business. That's why. Get out of everybody else's business. Stay out of their business. Tend to your own stuff. Amen? <laughs> I love it. Listen, it gets worse. He says, work with your hands. You know what he's saying? Get a job, for crying out loud. Get a job. Do something. Go keep the nursery. Go watch children. Do something with senior adults. Go and do something with the children's choir. Take uh, singles and do something with them. But stop meddling in everybody else's business. No wonder you're restless. Then he comes, and there's this anxiety doctrinally, not just personal personal restlessness, but this anxiety doctrinally. Verse 13, chapter 4, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. He's talking about those that have died. Now, the traditional understanding of this uh, in the commentaries is basically When Paul was there, he taught the whole doctrine of God, but he had very little time to go very deep in it. And so people are being saved, people are being discipled, people are being mentored, they're being coached. And he has about two weeks, no more than three weeks at the most. And he talks about eschatology, and they get it in their mind that you must be alive at the coming of Christ to go to heaven. So they have their loved ones that are dying. They've come to Christ, but they die before Christ returns. And Paul writes and he says, listen, you've got this thing mixed up. I'm going to have to straighten you out. That's why in 1 Thessalonians and especially 2 Thessalonians, he's going to talk an awful lot about the second return of Christ. So he wants them to know, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to have this anxiety doctrinally. Now, let me tell you, we're living in days where people, even in the church, are full of anxiety because they are just messed up on their doctrine. Just, hey, amen. Now, we'll get out of here a lot quicker if you amen me. If I got to take time to do it myself? Well, there it is, you know. We are just messed up doctrinally. And there's anxiety that's created out of it. And then there's this despair spiritually. Look at what this says. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. I I was at a wedding just two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago. And uh, one of the mothers there came up to me and there is this sickness that is in the family And just with the saddest eyes, she looked at me, and she said, I have no more hope. I I meet people like that, people that simply are hopeless. They have no hope whatsoever. And, And yet, here is Paul talking to an entire church, and he comes to that church, and his desire is to do this. It's my desire this morning to do this to a church that we consider our home. This seems to be, out of all the churches we've pastored, uh, the church that Deb and I feel closest to. You are like our family. This is like our home. And this morning, I want to just encourage you. I want to walk away from my family having encouraged you in Jesus Christ. And so Paul comes, and that's what he's going to do. Now, do you have a Bible with you? If you don't, we're going to call your name out. You got a Bible? Now, I want you to watch with me, because through this text is one word that Paul uses again and again and again and again, and it's the word encouragement. In fact, in the Greek, it is the word parakaleo, para, parallel, alongside, kaleo, call. The one called alongside is who? The Holy Spirit. The term, the noun, paraclete, comes from that word. He's the one who is called alongside of us. When it is a verb, it is the verb that means to encourage. One who comes next to you to encourage you. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to show you something. Because it's just like this subterranean um, water system flowing underneath the text, and it will spring up like an Ortizian well. It will just spring up. It springs up here and here and here seven times. Watch this. Chapter 3, verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel to, to, uh, of Christ, to strengthen and parakaleo, encourage you as to your faith. Chapter 4, verse 1, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort. There's the word, parakaleo. It's translated exhort here. Encourage and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Look down to verse 10. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. That's love. He's talking about their, the way they love one another. He says you do practice it. We urge you. There's the word again. Parakaleo. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more. We encourage you. You can put encourage in every one of these. Verse 18, chapter 4, therefore comfort. It's translated yet a fourth way. You can say, therefore encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you were doing. Look at this. This is just amazing. Verse 14, we urge you, we encourage you, brethren, Brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Seven times that word. Now, let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit moves on Paul to use a word seven times, you can be sure he's drawing your attention to it. How do we encourage? Do you encourage each other in this church? Do you encourage each other as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Is there a a ministry of encouragement that takes place in this church and among this fellowship? That's what Paul is doing here as pastor. He's coming alongside them, and he says, I'm coming here, and I am trying to encourage you, and I want you to encourage one another with these words. Now, what is he going to talk about? He's going to talk about... The second coming of Christ. Well, really, he's going to talk about the rapture of the church. Don't confuse that with the second coming of Christ. Now, you say, preacher, I don't believe in that. Well, hey, that's all, you can, that's all right. You can be wrong if you want to. Um, it, it, that'll be okay with us. Uh, if you want to hang out down here, hang out down here, but I'm going to go. When he comes, I'm gone. Well, now, here we go. I want you to understand something. In these days where there's this restlessness personally and there is this anxiety uh, 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 in our lives doctrinally, and when there is this just this despair of hope, I I want you to understand that a confidence in the coming of Jesus Christ will eliminate your fear and will evaporate your insecurities. Now, don't make me say that again, okay? It will will eliminate your fears and evaporate your insecurities. It will give stability to your life. Now, let me show you something. You can count on the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, I'm going to show you three things. I'm not going to talk about Russia. I'm not going to talk about Turkey. I'm not going to talk about Israel. I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ. Because if you will look at this pericope here, this whole area of Scripture right here just revolves around Jesus Christ himself. So when he comes, let me tell you something. You can be assured of his coming majestically. Now watch with me as I begin to read verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died, rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. You see, he's already now telling them that those who have fallen asleep with Jesus are going to come with him when he comes back. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, uh, this was a word that Jesus gave, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend. There's your major verb in this pericope, will descend. That literally means to move from this platformed area here down to this platformed area here. There is going to be a descent. Jesus Christ himself, do you see that in verse 16? For the Lord himself, that's emphatic. I'm going to come back to that. We'll descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Now listen, those three things right there, those three things we are told right there give us everything we need to know about the coming of Christ. He's going to come with a shout. Now, uh, that word is a word that describes a general speaking to his troops. How a general would address his troops. I don't know what it was like that night (laughs) there at uh, the river where Caesar, with his 600 German personal bodyguards, Uh, when he crosses the river, and he knows that in crossing the river, he is going to set in motion war against Rome itself and Pompeii, yet I can't imagine what it sounded like when he looked at those 600 German troops and he said, cross the Rubicon. I don't know what it sounded like, but I guarantee you, I bet it sounded majestic. I don't know what it was like that night Uh, when uh, Napoleon uh, looked at his generals there at the Battle of Austerlitz, and he told them, you seize the bridge, and we take the country. And there at Austerlitz, he gave the command, and those generals seized the bridge. And I don't know what it sounded like, but I can assure you, when Napoleon spoke, it must have sounded majestic. Do you know the entire French army surrendered to him when he escaped from uh, the island of Elba? Did you know that? They sent the entire French army after they thought they had put him off on the island of Elba and had secured him on an island. He got a rowboat with about three other men. They rowed to the the shore of France. Word got back to Paris that Napoleon had escaped, (laughs) and they sent the entire French army out to get him. And Napoleon looks at the French army, and he says, I am your emperor, and the entire French army surrendered to him. (laughs) Go read some history. They did. I don't know what that must have sounded like, but I bet it sounded majestic. I have no idea what it was like with Rochambeau and Lafayette when Washington looked at them and ordered them to fire on Yorktown at the fort there where Cornwallis was bottled up, but I bet it sounded majestic and it won the American Revolution. I have no idea what it was like when Pickett rode down that tree line speaking to 15,000 troops that would charge up Cemetery Ridge I don't know what it sounded like, but I bet it sounded majestic, and I can tell you that when we hear that shout, it's going to be majestic. When he comes back, he will come back majestically. He's going to come with a shout, but he's going to come with the voice of an archangel. Now, have you ever heard an angel speak? I have. That wins you points, boys. I'm telling you, it really does. I've never heard an archangel speak. You know, whenever you come across angels in Scripture, every time they speak, regardless of the language that is used by the person, angels are always perfectly understood. There is no diction issue. There is no... (laughs) There is no southern drawl problem that they've got. They always seem to be perfectly understood every time they speak. And we are told that there is coming a day when Christ will descend, and when he does, you will hear the voice of an archangel, and it will be unmistakable. That will be majestic. And then he's coming with the trumpet of God. Now, if you look at this and you read that, the trumpet of God, it's not the shofar that we're used to. This is a very different word right here. In fact, if you'll just flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul uses that word, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he says this, verse 51, behold, I tell you a a mystery. You will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Same Same word for trumpet here that it is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the trumpet of God. Now, do you know what it is? It's those great herald silver trumpets. Now, if you watched any of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, you saw these. They were incorporated in that funeral of that great queen. Uh, That's the trumpet that is referred to here, the herald trumpet. Now, do you know where that silver comes from? If you go with me all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 10, these two trumpets God gave Moses specific instruction about. He says, make for yourself, verse 2, Numbers 10, make for yourself two trumpets of silver of hammered work, and you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camp set out. Now, he's going to describe down here a little later where the silver comes from. It's called the silver of redemption. Every time a, 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 a Jewish couple, a Hebrew couple, had a, 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 their first child, they would take four, four pieces of silver. They would take four pieces of silver, and they would take it to redeem the child. Remember that comes out of the night of Passover? Passover. Uh, Every firstborn was redeemed by the blood, so you come now to the silver of redemption. And out of that silver of redemption, Moses makes two silver trumpets, and those trumpets were for this purpose. Whenever Israel was to get up and move, they would blow those trumpets. Very different than the shofar. They would blow those trumpets so that Israel would get up and move out, And there's coming a day when you and I are going to hear those trumpets, the trumpet of God, a trumpet of redemption, and it will be a signal for us to get up and get out this world. Jiminy Cricket, amen? That's what he's saying here. When that happens, it's going to be majestic. Have you ever had one of those moments that just— you, you saw something, you ever had one of those moments, you saw something a couple of weeks ago or, or last week, whatever it was, I, I, I flew into Durango, Colorado, and I got into, they gave me a car to drive down into New Mexico uh, as I preached at the New Mexico State Convention. I closed, I closed it out on, a, on, on, on some day. I closed it out when I was there. But they gave me a Dodge Charger, And I drove out of the parking lot. And when I drove out, the little boy in Mac Brunson said, floor it. <laughs> Never driven a Dodge Charger before. And I thought, man, I'd lo- I just love, man, this flat road, it's straight out. Just punch it and let it go. See if you can get it to 140. <laughs> um, and about the time I'm, lo- I'm thinking about doing that, I look up and here are those majestic snow capped Rocky Mountains. And I just had one of those moments. You ever have one of those moments where you just felt like every nerve in your body was just tingling? You know, I just looked up and there it was. And it was so grand and so glorious and so beautiful. It was just a moment of incredible excitement. Have you ever had one of those moments? They don't come often. Abraham Maslow, who was the great, famous Jewish psychologist, he called them peak moments. When he said it felt like everything in you was about to explode. The word in the Greek is ecstasy. It's the word ecstasis, ek, out of, histamine, to stand outside of yourself. You've ever had one of those experiences? Do you know that you are the only thing God created with that ability? The only thing God ever created to experience one of those moments that you just catch your breath and you feel like everything in you is just tingling. And you know what you want to do? You want to share that moment with somebody. Oh, I wish Debbie were here to see this. Oh, I wish the kids were here to see this. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be that all the time for eternity? that we are going to have such an uplifting of ourselves that we will lift literally out of ourselves into a new body, incorruptible and immortal, and we will live for an eternity in a peak moment. (laughs) Can you imagine? When he comes back, let me tell you, he will come back majestically. Let me give you the second thing here. And the second thing is this, when he comes back, he will come back triumphantly. Listen to what is said. At the end of verse 16, we read, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You can go back to verse 18, for it says this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And he comes and he tells us this, he says, after that shout, after that voice of the archangel, after the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, That is, those of our loved ones who've died in Jesus Christ are going to be raised. And we who are alive and remain, verse 17, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, he's going to come back triumphantly. He's going to come back by defeating at that moment everything that death has ever done in our lives. Wow. Triumphantly. He will call out those of our loved ones that have died and gone on to be with him. And when he comes back, he comes back with them. Now, maybe you've lost a loved one Maybe you've lost a husband or a wife. Maybe you've lost a mom or dad or brother or sister. Just about four weeks ago, I stood in my hometown underneath an oak tree in the cemetery that I remember uh, as a boy in our hometown, and I buried my sister. They diagnosed her with cancer on one Friday, and she went home to be with Jesus on the next Friday. And it was my privilege. It's been my privilege to bury my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my dad, my mom, and now my sister. Heaven's a far richer place right now for me than it's ever been before. And one day, I, I, I reminisced in the earlier service, reminisced about Joe and Dewey and Herb and boy, just, you know, W.E. Anderson and just all of the great men and women of this church that I remember from my youth and those days, already with Christ, when he comes back, he's coming with them. And we, listen, let me tell you, their bodies will get up, their wrappers will get up out of the grave, and it will be joined back with their spirit, immortal and incorruptible for all of eternity. And then we're caught up with all that. He conquers the grave. He conquers death. He conquers hell. You know, in my first church out of seminary, right before I came here as pastor, I was pastoring in a little inner city section that had gone downhill tremendously. There were gangs there. All the businesses had pulled out and left. Our church was right there in the center of that little community. I'd come to church and I'd find uh, women that had been beaten up. Uh, just sleeping in the doorway of the church waiting for somebody to come and care for him. That was not an unusual thing. We had only one business. Well, we really had two. We had a Chinese restaurant that was still there, and we had a Kentucky Fried Chicken. One day down there at the Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, something that happened, you know, from time to time. This guy came in, had a gun out, pointed it at the girl behind the desk, said, take that box right there and put all the money in it. And so she's stuffing the money in the box while somebody in the back hits a secret alarm. She puts the box up there. He grabs the box because he hears the alarm. And then now you've heard the police are coming. You can hear the sirens coming, and the guy grabs the box, and he tears out of there. And he gets down the street, and lo and behold, the cops see him running with a Kentucky Fried Chicken box, and they stop him. They grab him. They get him. They know who he is. And when they open the Kentucky Fried Chicken box, guess what? You know what's in there? It's not the money. It's chicken and bones. It's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, I want to just tell you something. You listen to me. In Jesus Christ, if you die before he comes back, Satan's going to grab for you for all you're worth. And the great news of the gospel is this, is all he's going to get is a box of bones because you're going to be gone. Amen? Amen. You're going to be gone. You'll be with Christ. That's what he's saying right here don't let your hearts be troubled. Listen, don't grieve as people who have no hope. Even if you die before the coming of Christ, you understand this, you go to be with him. You close your eyes here and immediately you open your eyes and you're looking into the face of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you all something. If y'all were Pentecostal, y'all be running around this building right now. That's good stuff he's coming back triumphantly. He will come back and triumph over the grave. Now, let me give you the last thing, and the third thing is this, is when he returns, he's going to return personally. You can be assured he's coming back majestically. He's coming back triumphantly. He's going to come back personally. That is, he's going to come back. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but at the end of every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, it ends with a word about the second coming of Christ. Let me take you back. Look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 9, verse 10, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. You see that? whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, I'm a pre-trib. I think he's going to rapture us out before the tribulation. Uh, You may be a mid-trib. You may be a a post-trib. I'm going to tell you again, if you want to hang out here, hang out here. But when he comes, I'm gone. He comes to save us from the wrath to come. But you say, we deserve it. Brothers and sisters, yes, we deserve it. The good thing of the gospel is this. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 19. For who is our hope? Or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Look at the end of verse uh, of chapter 3, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. We're reading the end of chapter 4 right now. So go to the end of chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, it is just he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Now let me show you something grammatically here that is very important, I think. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 10 where it says, and to wait for his son from heaven. In the Greek, that is ek uranon. Uranos is heaven. Ek is out of of heaven. He is coming out of heaven. Now, here is the perspective that Paul is using when he uses that little preposition there, ek. It is coming. He is, it's as if we're standing here on earth, and we look up, and he is coming out of heaven. Now that's going to shift. Watch the shift in chapter 4. You come to chapter 4, and look at what he's going to say there. He is going to come, we are told, from heaven. He is going to come not just um, down from heaven. He is now ap uranu from heaven. The perspective is this. It is a looking at one going away from you. Is if Paul says, now here we are in heaven, and I'm watching now as Jesus Christ stands up from the throne, and he steps down onto a cloud, and he goes from heaven. One is he's coming out, Out of heaven, one is he's coming from heaven. The whole emphasis of both is that it is Jesus Christ who is coming. Christ is coming. It's not an ambassador, it's not an assistant, it's not an attendant, it's not an angel. It's not a real godly person like Moses or Elijah who met him up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is Jesus Christ personally who is coming. Now watch this. Let me take you and show you one thing. How's all this going to happen? You say the word rapture's not even used here. Oh yeah, it is. You you just don't realize it. You're looking back at the text and it says this. He's going to come. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's verse 16. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be snatched up. The word there is the word arpazo. If you go to Reinecker's linguistic key to the Greek New Testament, it will tell you a violent snatching up so violent and so forceful, Reinecker says this, that no force can resist it. There is coming a day when there's going to be a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and our loved ones who died first before us are going to get up out of that grave, and they're going to head toward the clouds, and we're going to be snatched up. My dad used to do that. He come here, boy, you know. <laughs> Snatched up. You can't resist it. And up we go to join them in the clouds and to join him in the air. And thus we shall live with him forever. And you know what Paul says at the end of this? Encourage one Another. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. All this stuff going on, listen, in London, in Washington, in Raleigh, in Beijing, in Moscow, in Paris. Let me encourage you. Jesus is coming. He's coming. Be encouraged. You want to know this has been God's plan all along? You want to see this in the Old Testament? I'm going to show it to you anyway. (laughs) Go to the last chapter of Genesis. Last chapter of Genesis. Joseph dies before all of his brothers. Can you believe that? He brings all of his brothers. He's so good to his brothers that were so hateful to him. He brings them all down to Egypt and cares for them. And then he's going to die first. Joseph said to his brothers, get to the last couple of verses there. Verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. God will surely take care of you. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm telling you this here at Green Street. God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. And he says, he's going to bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to daddy, granddaddy, and great-granddaddy. That's what he's telling these brothers. He says, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, now he made them all say this together, God will surely take care of us, take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. You're going to, when God comes and he takes you from here over to there, you're going to take my bones with you from this place here over to there. Sound like anything? In a land known for tombs, they never buried Joseph. They put him in a sarcophagi, that is a coffin. They put him in a coffin. They never buried him. He could have been buried in in a pyramid. He could have been buried in the Valley of the Kings down in one of the tombs in Luxor and Thebes they never buried him. They left him out there in the sarcophagi, in the casket. 400 years passed by before they're delivered out. For 400 years, daddies would pass by that sarcophagi with little boys holding their hands, and the little boys would say, Daddy, what is that thing right there? What is that? That's a sarcophagi. Well, what is that? What's, what's in it? It's a box. What's in that stone box? Oh, the bones of Joseph. Well, now, they told their children the stories of Joseph. Well, what's Joseph doing in there? Why didn't you bury Joseph? Because Joseph told us one day God's going to come, and he's going to take us from here to that promised land. And when we go, we're to take the bones of Joseph with us. Listen, if y'all don't see this, I can't explain it any better. It's as clear a picture as you can imagine of God coming for the living and the dead. And he's going to take us from here to over there. I love that. i got cold chills. I just love it. And y'all sitting there. Listen, there's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, we shall see it afar. Stand up with me. Now sing this with me. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore Bow your heads with me. I want you to be encouraged this morning. But if you've never trusted that Jesus who's coming back as your Lord and Savior you have nothing to be excited about i want you to be excited i want you to know him personally i want you to know his love and his forgiveness his mercy and his grace oh what a god he is a god who's not just going to leave us here but a god who's coming back for us I'm going to ask your pastor to stand here. If you're here this morning and you've never made a public decision for Jesus Christ, I want you to come this morning. I want you to share with Pastor Brandon, and I want to tell you something. He knows how to lead you to the Lord. He can pray with you. He can share with you how to put your faith and trust in Christ. I want you to do that. I want you to slip out. I want you to come. Others of you here this morning, you need to come and be a part of this fellowship. I can't find another church in North Carolina that I'd rather be a part of than this church right here. This is the sweetest fellowship I know of anywhere. And I'd love for you to come and be a part of this church, this fellowship. You've been visiting for a month or two months or four months. Listen, ask the question, why do you keep coming back? Because you're being fed you love the fellowship. God is speaking to you. Why not come and be part of this body of Christ? Why not step out and say, we're going to nail down this issue this morning. We're coming to be a part of Green Street. Some of you here this morning, maybe you just need to get to the altar. You've got a burden on your heart. Let me encourage you. I want you to be encouraged this morning. Whatever that burden is, let me tell you something. Jesus is coming again. No matter what your frustration is, no matter what your problem is, no matter what your heartache might be, listen to me, brothers and sisters. Jesus is coming again. As Parker leads us, I want you to come.